In this video, we're going to talk about some of the best ideas from the book, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living by Dale Carnegie. Now, this book is a classic. It was published back in 1944 and has sold over 6 million copies. So a highly, highly, highly recommended book. Now, Tony Robbins once said in a seminar, the size of your life is directly proportional to the size of the problems you can handle or the problems you are handling in your life. So this book is really going to help you uh, handle the problems in life without letting those worries uh, just crush you. So if you have worries in your life, if you feel that you are being run by worries in your life, but if you want specific actionable advice on how to conquer worry and accomplish your goals, if you want to enjoy your life while handling big problems and challenges, and if you want to accomplish your big goals while uh, not letting the worries in life stop you, well, then this recommendation, this book is highly recommended for you. So you all know that I do not summarize a book that I do not recommend. And this book is a very high recommendation from me. Now, this book has over 28 great ideas on how to stop worrying and start living. And I'm going to be covering a few of them, a few of my favorite ideas in this video. By the way, Dale Carnegie was a self-help author back in the day, speaker, trainer, and his company, Dale Carnegie Training, still exists today. And Warren Buffett calls the training that he received at Dale Carnegie is one of the most important important trainings he received in his career. And Dale Carnegie is also the author of one of the greatest self-help books of all time, How to Win Friends and Influence People. So a lot to learn from this book and from Dale Carnegie. All right, let's jump into the ideas. Let's jump into how to stop worrying and start living. And one of my favorite ideas is to live in day tight compartments. It's like living life like a giant ship. What In a giant ship, what they have are very watertight compartments. So in case there is a leak in one compartment of the ship, all the different parts or all the different parts of the ship, all the different compartments of the ship are shut off from one another. They are, uh, they are shut off so that there's no leak. Uh, into another area. If there is a leak in one area, the leak is limited to that one area. And that's what we need to do. We need to operate our life like that. We need to shut down the iron doors of the past and the future. Stop thinking about the past. Stop thinking about the future. And just think about what we can do today. St shut down the door of the past. Shut down the door of the future. And think about what you can do today. What you can do right today in this moment. That's all that is. When, when you do that, when you shut off the worries of the past and the future and just focus on today, you make a lot more progress and the worry actually starts to disappear. So all you need to do is break down your giant goals and your big worries into what you can do today. What can you accomplish today? What can you act on today? And what would be a win for you today in some ways? And just focusing on winning the day, just focus on winning the day with whatever actions you need to take. Rather than worrying about the past and the future, just think about what is it that I need to do today in order to win today, in order to live in today's daytight compartment and feel like I did a good job today? When you start doing that, when you start focusing on just winning today, the worries disappear because now you're trying to live in the present moment rather than living in the past or living in the future, right? You're shutting down the iron doors of past and future and just focusing on winning today, on living today. By the way, if you are interested in this book, I want to make sure I give you the links. The You can buy the link, um, buy the book. The link is in the description below. And also, if you want to check out Dale Carnegie's training, the Dale Carnegie training can be found at dalecarnegie.com. And if you want to get this mind map, because this mind map is a great bird's eye view of the whole book. You can click through the mind map. You can literally just, just very quickly click and see which idea you want to focus on. And you don't even need to watch the video again next time around. You just 
go click on the mind map and get the whole book, all the big ideas, all the ideas you're seeing here very quickly. So just um, if you want to get this mind map, click on the I button in the top right corner here. And I will also put the link in the description below, or you can just go to 2000books.com slash self, S-E-L-F, and the mind map will be there as well. So a lot of different ways to get the mind map. Um, highly recommend you get it. All right, let's jump into the next idea. The next idea is what's the worst that could happen? Ask yourself, when you are worried about something, when you're really stressing out about something, ask yourself, what's the worst that could happen? And accept that worst case scenario. Just for this moment, accept that worst case scenario. And once you accept the worst case scenario, you have nothing more to lose. In fact, this is one exercise I've used time and again, when, especially when I'm really worried. I remember one time when I was really worried about a job interview and I was worried that what if I don't get this job? And I literally decided to write down the worst case scenario of what I, if I don't get the job. And once I had written it all down on paper, once I had put it all down on paper, it was so much easier for me to um, breathe again because I could see, okay, the worst case scenario is actually not as bad it is. When we start to... um when we start to put, uh, when when we start to actually write down these things, and when we become clear on the worst case scenario, we suddenly find out that it is not as bad as we make it up in our mind. So, identify what is the worst case scenario. Write it down. Uh, Tim Ferriss talks a lot about this idea in the book, the Four Hour Work Week, about how uh, identifying what's the worst case scenario and then working on improving it. So, this is a simple idea. Begin to improve on the worst case situation once you have identified what the worst case situation might be. Another way to look at it, and this comes from the book Executive Toughness by Jason Selk. This is also in our uh, mental toughness program. This book summary is in our mental toughness program. And the idea is called Relentless Solution Focus. And it's really a simple idea. Hey, all he says is, no matter how bad the situation, what is the one thing I can do to improve it right now? No matter how bad the situation, what is the one thing I can do to improve it right now? And just focus on that one thing. Just relentlessly focus on the solution. Don't worry about uh, uh, all the different things that could happen. Just focus on the one thing. Just focus on that one thing you can do to improve the situation right now. That's called relentless solution focus. That one plus that you're going to put out there, that one little improvement that you're going to make out there. And that's going to dramatically um, help you overcome this obstacle, this challenge. Again, accept the worst case. Write it all out. Uh, once you accept the worst case, now you can actually go and win the battle. Again, uh, Ronda Rousey talks about the same idea in her book, uh, My Fight, Your Fight. And I highly recommend that book as well. And she talks about how once you accept the worst case scenario, there's nothing more to lose. Your, the fight is now yours to win. And that is so crucial to understand. Accept uh, the worst case scenario. All right, next big idea is to make a plan. As simple as it sounds, most people don't do it. So write down, what exactly am I worried about right now? Write down precisely what you're worried about. And it's really important that you do these exercises in writing. Don't just think about them. Don't just intellectualize them. Actually write down. Take a piece of paper and start writing down these things because that will really help you. And then the second question is, what can I do about the situation? What is what is directly under my control and this is stoic philosophy 101 again we talk about a lot of stoic philosophy in our mental toughness program as well but the basic stoic philosophy talks about says that we need to be able to identify what is under my control and what is not under my control 
because the only things that are under our control are the things that we can do something about, right? So identify what exactly you're worried about and then identify what can I do about it? What can I do about this situation? And then not only will you identify what I can do about it, but what will I do and when will I do those things? You have to be very clear, the specific time and place, even put it in your calendar, literally put it in your calendar. I highly recommend you do that because it will really help you uh, make it happen. So put down the specific time and place and put it in your calendar as to what you will do and when you will do those things. As simple as it sounds, this might be one of the most important exercises you can do from this book because what happens is when you're worried, you're not really thinking about making a plan. You're just chewing on that worry. But once you start to write it down, once you write down what exactly you're worried about and what you can do about it and what you will do and when you will do those things, suddenly you have clarity. Now you can breathe easy. Now you know there's things you can do to make the situation better. All right, next great idea I want to talk about is probably one of my favorites, which is to forget your own happiness and instead create happiness for others. Because what happens is when we are worried, our instinct is to just shrink up and just be with ourselves to be lonely. But we have to do the exact opposite. One of the easiest ways to get outside, get out of your own worry is to help someone else, help others in need. It's a paradox of life because when you set out to make others happy, you get even more happiness in return. You get even more happiness in return. And there's a story from the life of John D. Rockefeller. It's a great one. I really enjoyed this story. So we all know, or maybe maybe you don't know, but let me tell you, at 33, John D. Rockefeller made his first million. And at 43, he was the biggest oil tycoon in the world. And not only that, he went on to become the richest man the world has ever seen. Rockefeller, even in today's terms, in today's wealth terms, he would be the richest man the world has ever seen. But what happened was he had already made all his wealth. But at the age of 53, he was so worried all the time that he was stricken with some mystery disease. He started losing all his hair. He could not even digest any food. He was uh, eating curdled milk and crackers. That's all the doctors would let him eat. And he had insomnia. He could not sleep. He was just worried, worried, worried about money. Uh, One of his friends said John D. Rockefeller was sane in every respect, but mad about money. (laughs) So Rockefeller was this great entrepreneur, but worries had totally brought him down. And his doctor said that this disease that he had at the age of 53, the mystery disease was because of worry. And there was nothing they could do to cure it. He had to take a break from work. So he did that for a little bit. And one night while he was in bed, while he was in bed thinking about this during his insomnia, he started thinking of other people. He stopped thinking of how much money he he could acquire and he started thinking of what that money could do for human happiness. And as soon as he got that idea, he started giving away his money. He literally started giving away his money. He rescued a little college that was about to be foreclosed and that college is the University of Chicago today. He gave money to the churches and the churches would not take it because they called it tainted money because Rockefeller was one of the most hated entrepreneurs of his times because of all his uh, practices in acquiring all the oil refineries and the uh, building the whole oil industry in some ways. But he still continued to give it away. He still continued to give away the money. Rockefeller, even though the churches wouldn't take the money, he still continued to give it away. And and not only that, he started uh, devoting money to health causes. He helped uh, wipe out hookworm. That was a very deadly problem in the South back in the days. Um, He... At that time, they just needed 50 cents per treatment to wipe out hookworm from South. And there was no one who 
wanted to give 50 cents or there was no donor to give 50 cents per treatment to wipe out hookworm and Rockefeller did that. And not only that, he donated a lot of money to various other health causes like malaria and stuff. And he created the Rockefeller Foundation, which helped stop uh, spinal meningitis, which used to kill four out of five children, helped with malaria, helped with tuberculosis. And that is how he literally got himself out of worry. And right after, I mean, after uh, after a while, there was one of the biggest defeats of his career when Standard Oil was forced to pay the biggest fine in U.S. history. And the lawyer was uh, lawyer asked him if he was worried, if Rockefeller was worried. And Rockefeller said, don't worry, Mr. Johnson, I intend to get a good night's sleep. He lived on. After he started to give away his money and after he stopped worrying about his money as his own problem, uh, he actually went on to live till the age of 98. So at the age of 53, he was stricken with a mystery disease. He could not figure out what was happening, and life was almost, um, uh, he felt like it was almost a death sentence. And then after he stopped living for himself and started to give the money away, he lived on to the age of 98. So that's John D. Rockefeller's story, a great one. And there's another book that I highly recommend called The Upside of Stress by Dr. Kelly McGonigal. And in the book, there's a great study of 1,000 U.S. adults from the age of 34 to 93. Um, and in the in the study, the the adults were asked, "How much stress have you experienced in the last one year?" And some said high, and the ones who said high, their risk of death was thirty uh, percent higher than the others. However, when they asked, "How much time have you spent helping others?" Uh, what they found was the people who actually spent time helping others who we on a weekly basis were spending time helping others even though they had very high stress they had no additional risk of dying even though they had very high levels of stress just because they were spending time helping others their risk of death was reduced dramatically by 30 percent in this case people who had high stress but were not helping others their risk of death was up by 30%, but people who had high stress but were helping others, their risk of death did not go up at all. Because when we are stressed out, one of the best things we can do is to be around people, to be to, to help people. Okay, so the next big idea, next great idea is to get busy. Get busy solving problems. And here's what happens. When we are solving problems that are so demanding, we have no time to worry about anything else. George Bernard Shaw, he said, the secret to being miserable is to have the leisure to bother about whether you are happy or not. So true. So true. Um, We have to lose ourselves in action and that's when we do not have the time to worry. We have to work so hard that by the end of the day, we're exhausted and then we have no time to worry. So there's a real life story from this class from Dale Carnegie's class. Dale Carnegie actually used to teach classes on how to stop worrying and start start living. So there was the story of uh, this uh, man called Michael who lost his five-year-old daughter. And then 10 months later, he lost their new they lost their newborn baby and michael just could not take it anymore his wife could not take it anymore Uh, he went to the doctors but the doctors ordered him to take a trip and also gave him a sleeping pill they asked him to take some rest but it just wasn't helping him at all so what uh, michael still had was another son who was a four-year-old son and one day michael's son insisted on helping him build a toy boat and michael did not really want to do it he said no i'm not really enjoying this i don't want to do it he had no interest in doing it but his son kept on insisting so michael finally gave in and he worked with his son for three hours to build the toy boat 
and those three hours were the most peaceful three hours he had had in a very long time and that led to him led him to a major realization that being busy had actually cured his worry for the time that he was busy and the next day he went around the house making a list of everything that needed to be done there were 200 plus things that he figured out he needed to do and over the next few months he went on attending to all of those things he started attacking all these tasks and that's when he stopped totally stopped worrying about everything else so being busy is a great way to stop the worry from killing us in some ways and winston churchill during the war times uh, people were people were people would say hey aren't you worried about the war and the responsibilities you have and winston churchill used to say i'm too busy i have no time for worry and that's where you want to be just get yourself busy and you won't have the time to worry tennyson he said i must lose myself in action lest i wither in despair when we don't have when we don't have actions to take when we don't have anything to do we can we start to despair so why does getting busy really work because it's a fundamental law of the human mind it is not possible to think about two things at the exact same time so i want you to try this experiment right now think of an elephant okay now as you're thinking of the elephant also think about your biggest goal for this year now can you think of both of them at the same time think of the elephant and the biggest goal at the same time you can't you're either thinking of one or the other and that is the key when we get busy we're only thinking about the thing that we need to do and we stop worrying so that's the key we have to get busy in order to stop worrying and start living all right another great idea is to accept what is this is to me stoicism 101 william james the great philosopher he said be willing to have it so acceptance of what has happened is the first step to overcoming the consequences of any misfortune being able to accept this situation being able to accept whatever has happened is critical for you to be over, for you to be able to overcome the consequences to be able to overcome whatever is coming your way so have to we have to learn to be able to accept what has happened that is the first step that is the primary step and as you know or you may not know the basic serenity prayer that's been popular for so long it says god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change courage to change the things i can and wisdom to know the difference the serenity to accept the things i cannot change courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference now this is basic stoicism this is stoicism 101 in some ways because stoicism the fundamental of stoicism is all about being able to distinguish between what you can control and what you cannot control that's what the serenity prayer is saying really it's saying accepting the things i cannot change basically saying uh figuring out what i cannot control right and the courage to change the things i can which is to say being able to identify what is it that is within my control right that's stoicism understanding what's within my control what's without outside my control and then going on to take action that is fundamental of stoicism and the same with serenity prayer accepting what is jc penny he once said i wouldn't worry if i lost every single dollar because i don't see what's to be gained by worrying i do the best job i can and leave the results in the laps of god um whoever you want to associate this with god or with yourself with your spiritual power or whoever it is understand that it's all about under- accepting what is and then going on to do what you can 
right? Being able to distinguish between what you can control and what you cannot control. Epictetus, the great uh, Stoic philosopher, he said, there is only one way to happiness, and that is to cease worrying about things that are beyond the power of will. Stop thinking about worrying about the things that you cannot control, and that is the way to happiness. Okay, so accepting what is. Now the next big idea is to don't, <laughs> this is from the life of Ben Franklin, and I like to call this idea as don't overpay for the whistle. So Ben Franklin, back when he was really young, probably seven years old, seven years old, he was smitten with a <laughs> by a whistle, and he saved up all his money, went to the store, and put down all his money and asked for the whistle. And the shop owner gave him the whistle, and he came back with this, uh, came back home with this uh, whistle, with, which was his dream whistle, and he was going around home playing this whistle all day long. But then his brother asked him how much he paid for the whistle. And when uh, young Bren Franklin, 70-year-old Bren Franklin, told them how much he had paid, uh, his siblings started to make fun of him because he had paid too much. And that's when he lost all the joy in the whistle. And at 77 years old, uh, he said, a great part of the miseries of mankind are brought upon them by a false estimate they have made of the value of things and by giving too much for their whistles. So literally what he was saying was that a lot of the times in life, we're paying too much for the whistle. We're thinking there's something that will bring us joy. So we end up paying a lot for it. And in the end, we find that there's no joy in that thing. We, we lose that joy uh, because we've paid so much for it. I'm going to read the quote by the 77-year-old Ben Franklin again. He said, A great part of the miseries of the mankind are brought upon them by a false estimate they have made of the value of things and by giving too much for their whistles. We are basically estimating wrongly as to how much happiness certain things will bring in life. Like, for example, a lot of things in life are like that whistle, right? We do not realize that we are overpaying for these things. Maybe we are overpaying for all the money that we're trying to make. Uh, or maybe we're overpaying for some specific thing that we're trying to attain in life. We think it will bring us a lot of joy, but it doesn't bring any. Right, but we continue to pine for it. We continue to pay a lot for those things. Um, or maybe you are paying too much in terms of your health, your family, your happiness, just to get that whistle. Maybe that whistle today is money or whatever it might be. Are you paying too much? Are you overpaying for the whistle, for whatever that whistle might be for you? The whistle is a metaphor, of course, for understanding. Evaluate. Is the goal that you're after, is it worth all the price you're paying for it? Am I paying too much for this whistle? Because if you are, you need to stop it. You need to stop overpaying for the whistle. All right. Another great idea from the business. Oh, by the way, uh, if you want this whole mind map, make sure to click on the I button in the top right corner of the screen or just go to uh, 2000books.com slash self to get this mind map. I know there are a lot of great ideas we've talked about and all of those ideas will be in this mind map. Again, another great idea is Ben Franklin's two-column technique. Two-column technique. Uh, he had this idea of how to, uh, what happens when you're really worried about making the right decision, what should you do? What's the process uh, to take? And he said, make two columns in a page, the pros and pros on one side and cons on the other side, and list out all the pros, the positives of that decision you try to make on one side and the cons, the negatives of that decision on the other side, right? Now, if you have all the decision-making points on one page, 
what you're going to do is you're going to start crossing things out. If you find something uh, on the pro side and the con side that, that have equal weight, cross them out. Or even if you find one point on one side that has the same weight as three or five points on the other side, well, cross them all out. And in the end, you will be left with very few items and your decisions will be much easier at that point. So just use a simple two-column technique for pros and cons whenever you're worried about making the right decision. This is again coming from Ben Franklin, the great. All right, so we covered a lot of great ideas, living in daylight compartments, what's the worst that could happen, making a plan, forgetting your own happiness and instead creating happiness for others, getting busy, accepting what is, not to overpay for the whistle, and Ben Franklin's two-column technique. All of these are, you can grab the mind map for this whole thing. You can grab this whole mind map by going to 2000books.com slash self, or just go click on the upper right corner of the screen on the i button, and you'll be able to get the mind map there as well. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed this video. This is just one of the many books we cover in the 2X Mental Toughness program, so come check that out as well.